Midwife calling. Hello, and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. I'm Jan Moffat. And I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. (laughs) All right. So welcome to our very first episode of Poplar Opinion. Yay! (laughs) Where we'll be taking every episode of Call the Midwife one by one, and we will be doing it without spoilers. So... We will be talking about the very first episode of Series 1. Do episodes of Call the Midwife have titles? They do not. They're just called Episode 1. Now, when we did our recap series for Legion, we gave each episode a title. I don't know. Do we want to do that with this show? I don't really want to. (laughs) Okay, let's not. Um, I want to just say before we get going, we didn't say this in our teaser episode, but... Call the Midwife is one of the things that we have been talking about doing a podcast about since before we started doing the very first podcast we ever did. Mm -hmm. So this feels to us, to me certainly, like a long time coming, and I am really excited to get going. All right, so let's get into this particular episode. Uh, We are going to start with a recap, or as I'm calling it, a nursing cap. (laughs) Because, like, they wear caps? Because they wear caps. Nurses wear... Like the red... Little caps. Okay. It's a a nursing cap. Okay, but it's like a recap. Okay. Anyway. In 1957, nurse and new midwife Jenny Lee arrives in Poplar, East London. The mature Jenny voiceover talks about her shock and unpreparedness for the poverty and conditions of this area of London. She witnesses a fight between two women, one of them pregnant. Sister Evangelita breaks up the fight along with two policemen. Jenny walks to Nanata's house and is greeted by Sister Monica Joan. The two share a large cake before the rest of the midwives midwives arrive, and Jenny is introduced to Sister Julienne, Sister Evangelista, Sister Bernadette, and fellow nurse midwives Trixie and Cynthia. All right. The... The voiceover here that starts with Jenny Lee in the future being Mm -hmm. like, I must have been mad. The voiceover, by the way, is provided by Vanessa Redgrave. Yes. Is the voice of Mature Jenny. Mature Jenny. Is that what she's cast as? Mature Jenny? Yes, she's officially called Mature Jenny. (laughs) Not old Jenny? (laughs) Not old Jenny. (laughs) What did you think about this? I feel like this is a great introduction to her as a character. Mm -hmm. You start on her shoes which are these like pump high-heeled shoes. I'm not good with fashion. As, <laughs> and as she walks these streets. And so from like, she's coming off of a bus carrying her case, like fresh-faced and ready to be, be like, she's a newly trained midwife ready to like start her new life here. And the first thing she encounters is like this two women hair-pulling fight and the crowd is gathered around them and they're fighting over who slept with whose husband yeah. and one of them is like heavily pregnant. It's just bananas. A detail I love about that fight is the way that they like are 
punch each other like closed yeah. fist punching yeah like i think it is both like a, a surprise to jenny and perhaps to the audience but it also is like a statement of the show that like this is hands-on this is literally gonna be hands-on mm-hmm. the show yeah and it's not gonna be like delicate frou-frou spare your feeling you know yep. spare your feelings but spare your uh sensibilities it's like when they're fighting in the street they're not scratching and hair pulling they are punching each other in the face yeah <laughs> right that feels different yeah visually absolutely this introduction to her but also to the east end to poplar yeah is vital to this show because poplar itself is a character in yeah, this show so sure. we have her uh encountering the people of poplar who are like this cockney accent this is where the cockney comes from uh and these close quarters all of these people are living like on top of each other in this close in these, these tall buildings with their laundry is like hanging out on the streets and so she's like walking through people's lives not just like down a street but right through their lives through their dirty laundry or their clean laundry rather and and then the other thing we see is crumbled buildings there's bricks all over the ground Mm -hmm. and this isn't derelict buildings i mean it is derelict buildings but it's not because of poverty this is because of the blitz right so in world war ii london was bombed and this is 1957, so this is almost 10 years later after the end of World War II. This is 10 years after the Blitz, for sure, more. And these buildings are not being repaired. These buildings right. are just left to crumble because the the East End is neglected. And this is the world that she's coming to, this neglected East End. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, like, voiceover from Mature Jenny, one of the things that I think the show starts on such the right foot is that voiceover from mature Jenny would be so uh, sentimental and uh, kind of see everything through rose colored glasses. The way that she's like midwifery was the very stuff of life. And then there's this juxtaposition of like the show is showing us the very stuff of life in not at all sentimental terms. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Like there's dirt and infection and fighting and broken like this isn't uh this isn't rose-colored uh sentimental vision of what poverty is like mm-hmm. and the first nun that we meet is sister evangelita who is very non-sentimental of all the nuns <laughs> i love sister evangelita she is so great and i love this appearance of her representing the nuns and representing the like one of the spirits of both the show and of Nanata's house that like she is right in there mm-hmm. she is no nonsense is the word for her and she's so like in your face she takes charge i like as an introduction to her and as an introduction to Nanata's house that like the constables are there and they do not have things under control yeah and she shows up and everyone listens to her and she is in control and tells the police what to do because she is the authority figure in any situation that she is in. Yeah. It's such a great introduction to her and I love it. Mm-hmm. Me too. So the first person she meets is Sister Monica Joan. <laughs> she gets to the convent. She meets Sister Monica Joan and Sister Monica Joan is this old nun who's... Uh, 
we never find out exactly her age, but she's retired in, in the nun sense. She doesn't do any of the midwifery anymore, but she's there. And she is known for stealing the cakes. And she <laughs> feeds Jenny cake and more cake and until and Jenny is uh, like refusing it by the end, but feels like she must take it. And doesn't realize that she's eating the cake that was meant for everyone. <laughs> yeah, although she maybe should, like, this is something that should be realizable. Yeah. But Monica Jones such an interesting immediate contrast to Sister Anne Evangelista. And that contrast, I mean, we said this isn't going to be a spoiler. Co- this is going to be spoiler free, but I don't think it's spoilery to say we're setting up a contrast that's going to be ongoing. Yeah. Between these two characters. And they, I mean, they're... Two faces of Nanata's house, two faces of what it is to be a nun, a working nun midwife. Like, we see very different, not just their characters, but they symbolize different aspects of this life. In the same way that young Jenny and mature Jenny, like, one is very sentimental and the other is very overwhelmed by the immediacy of the world that she's in. Mm -hmm. Sister Evangelita is very no-nonsense, hands-on the world that she's in, and Sister Monica Joan is literally withdrawn from it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the first thing that Monica Joan says, Sister Monica Joan says to Nurse Jenny is, uh, Venus and Saturn are in alignment. It is a pr- Your appearance is appropriate. Or I didn't write down the exact quote, but... <laughs> uh, and Venus and Saturn in alignment are appropriate. Venus is the planet that governs love, beauty, the giving and receiving of love. So the narration from Mature Jenny has made clear what is already pretty clear, but has like put into words that midwifery is about love Mm -hmm. and lust and giving and receiving of love. And Saturn is about discipline and commitment. So the alignment of giving and receiving of love and duty and commitment are very appropriate for a new wife who will be dutifully committed to the very stuff of life mm-hmm. in midwifery, like it actually is, uh, brings together the two sides of like what Nanata's house does, Venus and Saturn. Absolutely. That's really cool. Um, I wanted to get back for a second about the cake, yeah. which is that um, Jenny coming from elsewhere didn't necessarily experience the poverty didn't experience the poverty that's in the east end that is also in the nunnery and so one cake is one cake per day and they're coming off the end of world war ii where there was rationing where there was no sugar there was no eggs there was nothing to make a beautiful white cake like we see this is a new thing for them to have you know a new newish thing in the past few years for them to have again and so that cake is very desired, more than like a cookie or whatever. And that cake, uh, and so her eating the four pieces, she may not realize the scarcity of what she's coming into. She doesn't realize that like another one is not going to be made because it can't be afforded, even in, within the nunnery. They don't yeah. have the money to have several cakes in a day. Yeah. And... <laughs> I mean, it's just such an it's such a fun thing that's a motif through this whole episode. Is Jenny is over her head and doesn't understand what's going on in mm-hmm. this episode? Yeah. And so, like, how do you, how do you say no to Sister Monica Jones? She's like, I'm full, and Monica Jones like, No, you are young and have an endless appetite. 
and Jenny's like, she plays it so well, and her face is like, I've had three pieces of cake, but okay, I'll yeah. have another one. <laughs> you have an endless appetite for life. Wide-eyed, yeah. nodding. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, eat it. <laughs> like, okay, I, I will. So moving on, uh, Jenny confesses that she did not realize this was a convent, but Sister Julianne is reassuring, showing her the tool she'll be using and setting her on her way as a new midwife. Soon Jenny sets off on a bicycle to her first patient, Conchita. Conchita is due with her 25th child, living in poverty but happy and in love with her husband. Jenny gets the full story of the family over lunch with the midwives. Jenny then accompanies Sister Evangelista to her first birth. A young woman, Mrs. Hawks, is on her fourth child, and Jenny struggles with the surrounding poverty, including newspaper on the bed, a chamber pot, and a coal fire. As the baby is born, the fire crashes in, filling the room with soot. The... Uh, as... Okay, first of all, Sister Julianne is established immediately here as being the best. Yes. Uh, and I, again, I love her. With the <laughs> contrast between, like, Sister Monica Joan is so uh, impractical and Sister Angelita is so practical. And Sister Julianne is this nice uh, middle ground between them mm-hmm. who understands both of them and where they're coming from. And she's so, like, encouraging and uh, she's the best. Yeah. And she has uh, Jenny lay, um, name the things in her midwife's bag. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, rectal tube that is made of glass. And Jenny is surprised it's made of glass. What's the significance of a glass? I mean, I can guess, but... I actually wrote down the whole contents of the bag. So okay. I thought I'd tell that. Go, <laughs> do here. it. Um, so the mid- what does a midwife have in her bag? She has a tin box with soap and a nail brush to clean her hands. A canvas case containing scissors, dressings, forceps. Forceps, if you don't know, are look like giant salad tongs and they help a baby out of the birth canal when it's stuck. Um, gauze sterile, gauze idioform, which I had to look that up. Idioform gauze is the loose weave gauze that you would use to pack a wound, often back then used on like battlefields. Um, the pinard horn... An enema funnel, enema syringe, rectal tube made of glass. So a pinard horn is the, like, looks like a little ear trumpet that you use to listen to a baby's heartbeat. They are still used in Mm -hmm. midwifery, and they've been more recently replaced by, they were replaced by a fetal scope, which is like a, a stethoscope with a little tube thing at the end. And then these days they use a Doppler which is the, like, it looks like a tiny sonogram, which is what we had when I was pregnant. Um, But in developing nations, they absolutely still use that pinard horn. So the significance, as you asked, about a glass tube is glass medical instruments were starting to be replaced by plastic medical instruments by now. Plastic is very much starting to be a thing in the 50s. The benefits of something plastic versus something glass is glass breaks and glass is uh more difficult to get fully sterile okay but like see it seems obvious to me not knowing anything the benefit of of plastic it's less obvious to me why they're using glass like is that just cheaper or is it just that their equipment is old yeah their equipment is old their equipment is uh 
is cheaper. Exactly. It's cheaper because it can be reused. Plastic would be replaced every time. Glass would be washed. Would be washed and sterilized and reused. So glass is not just cheaper like one time. It's as an ongoing expense. Yeah. Using glass as long as you don't break it. Exactly. But for like rectal tube is, you know, something you're putting up your rectum. That could break. If that breaks, that is extremely uncomfortable. And that's probably why her reaction is so severe for like specifically the rectal tube being right. made of glass. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the whole thing about Jenny confessing that she didn't realize it was a convent. It is... Uh, back then, nurses and midwives would dress similarly. Like right. in this show... The nurses and midwives look very different, but in a hospital, a nurse in the you know forties, fifties might wear what looked like a ner- like a nun's habit and be called sister and matron, and all those things. And so it does take her a moment to fully realize that this that they are nuns right. in this place. This is not, and so she, that's why she's so surprised that being report having to report to a matron, people being called sister would be normal. To nuns, to um, nurses. To nurses and nurse midwives. And nurse midwives. Um, and I like, too, the statement not only for Jenny's benefit, but for the show's benefit of, like, we are Anglican. Yes. Uh, your, how you worship is your own affair. We are nurses first. Yeah. But, like, saying those three things. Uh, oh, man, one of the things... We'll talk about this lots, I'm sure, through the show. One of the things I love about Call the Midwife is it the way that it portrays religiously faithful people mm-hmm. in the nuns, especially. And the, as we've already mentioned, like most of the characters are so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the ways that they're so good, one of the ways that Sister Julianne is so good, is that like we are faith, we are. Uh, People of faith who approach the world through a lens of faith, but how you worship is your own affair. We are mi- we are nurses first, and we see even with Sister Monica Joan, who is most kind of ethereal in her perspective on the world, that like the way that her sacred calling is to care for. We haven't got to the her giving the plant yet. That's going to come in a later recap, but yeah, that's fine. It already like her sacred calling is caring for. Uh, the young and the bodies of the young. And that's how they, that's how the nuns enact their faith. Mm-hmm. And how Jenny does is her own affair. And I like to, it's like such a little thing, both for the show, but also for Jenny as a character, like to explicitly tell her just because you're living in a convent doesn't mean that we expect you to follow our mm-hmm. uh, strict religious, our religious rules. rules. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for saying that out loud. Yeah. Uh, and also to specifically mention that they're not Catholic nuns, but Anglican nuns, because anyone watching this in the 21st century kind of go sees nuns and immediately goes Catholic, or at least I do. I right. barely knew before watching this show that there were Anglican nuns. Especially habited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I should also mention that the name of the house, St. Uh, Nanatus House, is it named after St. Nanatus. Um, that is a fictional house. It, this is all based on Jenny Lee's real life, but Jennifer Worth as she is eventually. 
but she she changed a lot of the names of things to protect people and so Nanatus house is uh saint Nanatus is the is the saint of childbirth he was the a cesarean section but in the 11th century and so his mother did not survive that cesarean right. section but nonatus means no natus no birth no birth yeah i was i was had been thinking that the significance of nonatus as a latin that means no birth yeah for childbirth for childbirth it's because he wasn't born but untimely ripped from his mother's womb yeah, he's not Macbeth. <laughs> that's a whole different that, thing. That's Macduff, not Macbeth. Come which, on. Which, uh, whatever. In the play. <laughs> uh, Sister Evangelista drops some crazy numbers here. As they're biking along, she says that in Poplar, between 80 and 100 babies are born each month. So I did a little math. <laughs> oh. That's 20 to 25 per week. There are six named midwives. Unclear whether we see other nuns, but we don't ever see them as midwives. So I assume that the six midwives are what we have. So yeah. that would be about three to five births per week per midwife. And I feel like that's well, Jenny doable. Does, Jenny does three. Yeah, we see her at three births in this. No, two births in this episode. Three pregnant women who... Three pregnant women in this episode. It does feel like a lot, yep. but it does seem like it might be doable. It doesn't. I would hope that six, more than six wouldn't be in labor at the same time, but that could happen. And, but there are doctors and other things. There is a, a doctor yeah. as well. So, But I'm guessing there might be some unassisted births as well in this neighborhood if there's, if that, many there's that, yeah. that many pregnant women and that few midwives. Well, and it puts some perspective into when Jenny appears and Trixie's as like, pleased to meet you does not cover it. Yeah. <laughs> are <laughs> thrilled yeah. to have some reinforcements. Exactly, exactly. Um, and she meets Conchita with her 24 children. Uh, I also did some math on this one, just okay. to break out some more math for you. So she's had 22 pe- pregnancies because she's had some twins. Right. Uh, one right after another. We hear the story that she was probably 14 when she arrived. Right. That means maybe 13, which is this is just like so icky. But uh, so that means if she's had 22 pe- pregnancies one right after another since she was 14 that's taken 17 18 years mm-hmm. and that means she's about 30 31 right so she's had 25 she's having 25 children and she is younger than she's us 30, yeah she's in her early 30s oh my goodness <laughs> which is just bananas i feel like yeah conchita here uh conchita who speaks no english is like the thematic center of the episode. Mm, yeah. Because this is an episode about introducing us to the world, but it's particularly about Jenny who is over her head and doesn't understand the world around her. Yeah. And it's about like, how do you cope when you don't speak the language? Mm-hmm. Like Conchita speaks the language more than Jenny does. Yeah. She understands the environment she's in, the people around her and how to relate to them. She doesn't have to, like what we see on screen is she doesn't have to, actually speak the language to understand 
everything about her environment that Jenny does not. Yeah. And that goes through the whole episode, both before and after this. This is like Jenny's the one who actually doesn't speak the language. Yes, and absolutely. And is learning how to, or starting to learn how to in this episode. Mm-hmm. And the Warrens, Mr. and Mrs. Warren, don't speak each other's language. Yeah. But they understand each other anyway. And we get like them as a a symbolic center for Jenny and how she's should be uh the the blueprint that she should be using to hmm. be a part of this neighborhood. Yeah. Right? But there's there's also that they love each other, they don't speak each other's language, but they have a lot of love resulting in a lot of children because there isn't as Sister Evangelista says, a magic potion that will stop it. Yeah. And this, of course, is pre-pill, but also very close to the pill. Like, yes. this, uh, within the next decade of this show, the pill is going to become a thing that was introduced in the 60s and changed, especially when the pill was first introduced, it was only for married women, but in the world of Poplar, that's who's getting pregnant over and over and over. And the pill will really help to change that. So over lunch with the, the nurses, when Jenny finds out the whole backstory of Conchita and that she was maybe 14, maybe younger, and uh, they are all talking about the family. Sister Monica Joan quotes Ode to a Nightingale by John Keats. She is another of these contrasts between Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelista, where, like, Sister Monica Joan just says something, and Sister Evangelista is like, ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do not know why you groan at me. I was merely quoting Keats. What she quotes is Ode to a Nightingale. I won't read the whole thing by any means, but she says, Oh, for a beaker full of the warm south, full of the true, the blushful hippocrine, with beaded bubbles winking at the brim and purple-stained mouth, that I might drink and leave the world unseen and with thee fade away into the forest dim. Hmm. The contrast here, again, between the practical Sister Evangelista and the theoretical Sister Monica Joan, like a few minutes later... Sister Evangelista will give her poetry, Mm -hmm. which is uh, high, hot, and a hell of a lot. Yep. (laughs) That's the poetry that she quotes. Uh, I, again, I just love at the center of this show the, like, two different ways of being a nun, two different ways of looking at the world, and the show does not side with either of them, I Mm -hmm. think. I mean, Sister Monica Joan is kind of a comic relief, but but so is Sister Evangelista, frankly. And that, like, what, there's nothing wrong with quoting Keats. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who knows the history. And she's and when we are introduced to her, like, where she might be someone that we laugh at, and then Sister Julianne says she was the, one of the first midwives licensed in England. Mm-hmm. And it is our privilege to care for her. And that's the, like, word of authority about how Jenny and how the show, how you, the viewer, should think about Sister Monica Joan. Yep. And I just really like the contrast between them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the young woman that has uh, the baby in the soot-filled room later on, Mrs. Hawkins. Muriel. Muriel is her name? Okay. Muriel is uh, 
I feel like in this very first episode, there's a little bit of laying it on thick because they're still <laughs> kind of gaining their feet. And so we have her like explicitly say, you know, I'm only 24. This is my fourth baby or I'm only 23 or whatever. This is my fourth baby. I'm done with having babies. And like, and so they're, you know, there's a lot of exposition in a little bit of clunky dialogue in this first episode. And a little bit. And so it's interesting, but it's also like, Okay, guys, we get it. This is, you know, a world where people have a lot of babies because they don't have a lot of birth control. (laughs) A lot of babies young. And later on, there's more of that that I'll point out. But that is, yeah. And the other, like, thematic statement for the episode happens in that scene, though, where the soot goes everywhere. Sister Evangelista says, sometimes we have to deal with what the Lord has given us. Like, keep doing your, what she means by that is, keep keep doing doing the practical work. You just got to roll up your sleeves and do your work. She doesn't quite say, I mean, she says, soot happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, uh, the moment that, like, this black, soot, dirty room and it's funny and they all laugh and they lift up the blanket and the baby is there perfect and clean and protected. Because and Sister Vangelita threw the blanket over the baby. Sister threw the blanket over the baby that, like, it's again symbolic of like sister evangelita gruff and uh practical in a like kind of not very gentle way Mm -hmm. high hot high hot and hell of a lot uh and she's dirty Mm -hmm. and everything is dirty and they all that dirt part of the part of why sister evangelista is dirty is to keep the baby clean yeah right Absolutely, absolutely. And the baby's on the show. This is the first real baby we see. Yes. Like, okay, here's a just a word about babies. <laughs> so if you have never had a baby or seen a newborn baby, newborn babies are tiny. Yeah. They are so small. Even the big ones are like the size. You can fit them. You can hold them in one hand always. And on TV... They use, like, 10-month-old for babies. Like, it's hilariously bad how big newborns can be on TV. I always laugh about it. This show is the only show that has, like, real tiny babies. And that's through a combination of they actually cast little tiny babies to be the babies. They have them for, you know, the two seconds that they need them on camera. And they have extremely lifelike dolls. Yes. And I'll see if I can eventually put one in the show notes, a picture of one of these dolls, because they have extremely lifelike looking robot babies to perform. But like, I have been in the room when two Mm -hmm. babies were born and held Mm -hmm. a baby that was, held two babies that were, you know, five minutes old. Um... And I have always been, yeah, like, the babies you see on TV. Like, a 10-month-old is still cute, but it's a different thing. Yeah. Like, a baby that is less than an hour old, there is, like, so tiny and fragile, and it... And their eyes are all puffy, and they look like goblins, except they're the most beautiful things ever. It's a really complicated thing. (laughs) It sparks very different emotions in me. It does. An hour-old baby or a ten-month-old baby. Yes, exactly. And this baby, protected from the soot, is like, looks like a baby that was that young would look, with the wrinkly skin and the so curled up. And Mm -hmm. and it just, 
<laughs> the thing about Call the Midwife is uh, it is tear-inducing in both the sad and the happy. It is. So in the evening, Jenny, Trixie, and Cynthia bond over food, and Jenny meets Fred the Handyman. The next few weeks pass as the nurses hold the cl- hold clinic. Jenny bikes around the neighborhood, and she arrives back at Conchita's home, where she is served a meal with all the 24 children, all of them eating from the same pot. She soon discovers that Conchita's husband doesn't speak Spanish. In the clinic, Jenny examines Pearl Winston, discovering that she has syphilis. Jenny fails to hide her disgust and scrubs her hands as Sister Julienne talks to her, gently admonishing her and talking to her about the women they see and serve. The scene with Jenny and Trixie and Cynthia is kind of, it just shows the difference between the nuns and the midwives. Is mm-hmm. there joking around they're having a laugh about like fred's alcoholic ginger beer and they're just a different kind of person than the nuns and this is this is the world to which jenny will belong to is the nurses Mm -hmm. and the and fred is introduced who will become a much bigger character later on and his cockney accent and the he's the little touchstone of like the outside world that's in the convent as well yeah the word the song that plays during the couple of weeks that pass immediately after sister evangelista says we have to deal with what the lord gives us mm-hmm. the song plays what will be will be yeah okay sarah sarah <laughs> which is the same sentiment right mm-hmm. the world is going to be what it's going to be yeah, it's you, you deal with the world that you have, right? Mm-hmm. And that comes back to what Sister Julienne says about like when when Jenny says, I didn't know people lived like this. Mm-hmm. And Sister Julienne says, but they do. But they do. And that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And what will be, will be. And we deal with what the Lord gives us. And this, people do live like this. And so yeah. someone has to be there for them. And that's us. Exactly. And they have one big pot with stew in it and no plates. And they just all eat with bread and spoons out of that one big pot. Yeah. That's just the way things are. Yeah. And uh, we see little shots of uh, the clinic that the nurses run where the women come to them. And Jenny is listening to the heartbeats of a woman <laughs> who is lying there smoking which is like <laughs> just like i don't know that's always a thing of like oh in the 60s people smoked <laughs> yeah or 50s or whatever people smoked everywhere remember that like, i believe that that's realism but it's also a joke for the for the modern 20, audience 10 yeah. people watching this show absolutely and then and she also and she diagnoses a woman with twins she listens to a heartbeat while a kid is feeding her a cookie <laughs> yeah. which is really cute like you know the mother mothers have a lot of kids and so there's another kid there with her and the kid is trying to like feed jenny lee a cookie and then of course we have pearl who yeah uh who's bait who's child pees on the floor because it's not wearing pants because they're potty training and she just doesn't care yeah oh it doesn't matter he didn't wet his pants in the puddle just stomp in the puddle of pee uh and obviously smells terrible because jenny lee cannot hide her she can't breathe 
her revulsion. Her nose. Yeah, and her revulsion. And has a syphilitic sore on her genitals that Jenny just needs to, like, leave. And that Jenny finds disgusting. Disgusted. And, like, she's a... I mean, the two central pregnancies in this episode are Pearl and Conchita and their contrast of each other, right? Mm-hmm. In every way. Yeah. Um, and the, they're, like... Obviously, Pearl's husband has been cheating on her gotten the syphilis given it to her i mean that's what the fight was on the street was that she's beaten up or the woman who slept with her husband yeah and yeah and we contrast the conchita who their has her husband they love each other so much and have so many children that they just will live on love Mm -hmm. and uh it's again one of these juxtapositions where, like, that would seem so rose-colored glasses uh, sentiment of, like, it doesn't matter that you have 25 children and no money. You live on love and everything is wonderful. But then you show us in the same episode that, like, except, and then maybe you don't. Maybe your your marriage is not so good. Mm-hmm. And you still have to live. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Um. I like, before we leave okay. Conchita, I keep coming back to yeah, oh, the yeah, moment sure. of, like, we discover that uh, her husband doesn't speak Spanish and she doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And then, but Jenny is testing her urine for uh, preeclampsia. Yeah. And he's like, preeclampsia? That's that the same as toxemia? We know, but, like, he speaks medical. Yeah. He speaks That's medical, true. but he doesn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. That 24 baby, 22 pregnancies, 25th baby... He knows about pregnancy. I mean, I think not actually, but uh, we see him knowing more about the practical requirements of caring for his wife's pregnancy than Jenny does. Yeah, exactly. And it's again... She has her cute little pamphlets on baby care, and she's like, I have some things about nutrition and baby care, and like, they don't need these. This is their 25th baby. Yeah, like, they either know it, or they've already decided not to listen. Exactly. (laughs) Like, you're not telling them something. It's a bit too late for all that. When Pearl is diagnosed with syphilis, I decided I would look up syphilis. I immediately regret that. <laughs> there are pictures on Wikipedia that I cannot unsee. Oh, dear. Syphilis is gross. Wear a condom. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's your whole uh, well, research no. into syphilis? But, well, and it is uh, cured by penicillin in the early stages, if you catch it early. And uh, it, it puts pregnancies at risk, which it does to Pearl. Mm-hmm. Puts her pregnancy at risk. Yeah. The other moment related to Pearl that uh, really sticks with me is one of the things that Jenny is revolted by is like, how does she not know? How does she not care? She like feels like she doesn't care at all about this, Mm -hmm. which is not just something that Jenny feels sympathy for, but she feels repulsed by. Yeah. And Sister Julianne says, Pearl Winston is not accustomed to caring or being cared about. Yeah. And that just little line... It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. So late at night, Sister Monica Joan brings a plant for Jenny to keep warm. The next day, Conchita hangs laundry in the fog and falls, going unconscious. Jenny visits Pearl in her home, giving her a shot of penicillin. And then in Jenny's room, she shares a hot drink with Trixie. 
and they talk about the job, Trixie calling the mothers heroines. They gossip about men, and Jenny confesses that she loves someone wrong for her. They are interrupted by the phone, and it is Conchita's husband calling her over. Jenny is sent to the house to deliver what they expect to be a stillborn baby before the doctor can arrive in the fog. Conchita screams and thrashes before giving birth to a tiny stillborn baby. Conchita is losing blood, but Jenny works fast to try and save her and then discovers that the baby is still alive. Conchita holds him, refusing to let him go to the hospital when help arrives. Jenny meets Dr. Turner, the district doctor, who arrives too late. I mentioned already the, the plant. Yes. And that it's like... Sister Monica Joan, so impractical, but the care of a young plant, she says that, like, to leave such a young life to die would be contrary to our divine calling. Yeah. To our sacred calling. Mm Mm-hmm. That, and I like that, too, that what their calling is, is a sacred calling, and that Sister Monica Joan sees it as a calling for all young life. Mm -hmm. Like, it is, she's come to a... Perhaps through dementia. Like, I'm not saying it's a... But she's come to a state where, like, plants are also need protecting and loving. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, symbolic of, like, things that don't seem to be worth taking care of. Yeah. She still is able to... I mean, they still need care. Mm -hmm. Things that don't seem like they deserve to be cared for still do need care. Mm Mm-hmm. I really like that little moment. It's yeah. actually surprisingly moving to me that, like, we need to care for this plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's our sacred calling to protect the life of the young. Yeah. And I love... It's, again, like you said, it's a little heavy-handed, and I don't disagree. It's a little heavy-handed, maybe a little uh, a sentimental, but I still really like Trixie and Jenny's conversation about working in the East End mm-hmm. and Jen and Trixie being like, I came here, I thought I deserved all the medals in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I don't deserve any medals at all. Yeah. And I like that because I think we see that Trixie has gone through the same thing Jenny is going through now. I can mm-hmm. absolutely imagine Trixie came there thinking that she was going to be so like helping all these people. And she soon realizes that she is, uh, there she deserves no medals like she said she's just there to assist these women who deserve the medals for living the way they do and it's again what sister julianne says of like people they didn't know people lived like this but they do and that's why we're here mm-hmm. and we're not here for ourselves yeah exactly. and it's essentially what trixie says is a different version of that same speech mm-hmm. right yeah they're not there for themselves um, so Jenny is called to Conchita's house and is told by Sister Julianne, or asked by Sister Julianne, have you ever delivered a stillborn? Oh. And Jenny's like, once under supervision in like a hospital setting. And so she's going to what she expects to be a stillborn birth, which is extremely difficult and tragic. That question when like, they're all, they're all so like get ready and it's all like uh matter of fact and practical mm-hmm. but that like my stomach fell mm-hmm. with the like have you ever delivered a stillborn baby before okay well go ahead 
Like, yeah, this is your chance. Basically, oh this is what goodness. you're gonna have to go and do. And Trix and Trixie has sympathy and wants to go with her, but Sister Julianne knows that is, is like, no, I'm off to my, to a birth myself. You need to be here if someone else calls. We can't sacri- We can't coddle Jenny. She yeah. needs to be just thrown in because this is what's happening, and we need her. And we see Sister Julianne. Like I said before, she's this middle ground between Sister Evangelista and Sister Monica Joan, and here she's being the practical. Like mm-hmm. she sees what needs to be done practically, and like mm-hmm. she's gentle about it. But that doesn't, she's not gentle, but unyielding. Yeah. <laughs> right. And she is in charge and that it's clear why she's in charge. Yeah. Oh. They go out in this fog. The The hospital, the doctors can't get there in time because of the fog that's there. Jenny has to be led by a policeman, mm-hmm. uh, Sergeant Noakes, who will become a character, uh, to the birth now, this is London after the Clean Air Act. So London had serious smog and fog problems. There was the Great Smog. If you've watched the show The Crown, there's an episode about the Great Smog. Uh, the Great Smog was in 1952. So this is 1957 when they've started to clean up the air, but they're still getting serious fog and smog that they don't get anymore in London. So uh, that caused deaths, that fog. Because of things like this, where they can't get to places they need to go in time. And luckily she makes it there and is able to do all this and deliver this baby in like this absolutely harrowing way that her body just basically births it despite no effort from the mother. It looks because she's in like, shock and can't. She doesn't understand that she's in labor because she's yeah. in shock from the concussion yeah. and she can't speak English and she can't understand what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but this awful. baby is born. They she puts it just like you know in a tub away so she can deal with the mother and then it starts moving. I'd and seen like, this episode before, but I had forgotten that the baby moves. Mm-hmm. So it comes out all blue, and I was like. Like, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I can't... I mean, I'm going to be, like, through this epi- through this series, like, the moment watching my two children be born, my mm-hmm. two babies be born, uh, every time I watch a baby born on Call the Midwife, I empathize, I feel like watching my babies born. Like, mm-hmm. I... And so, like, coming out so blue... And stillborn is like, it's heartbreaking even when I'm prepared for it and I know that it's fiction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's miraculous that the baby lives. Uh, since Conchita's dates were very unclear of like when she got pregnant, since her pregnancies just come on top of each other, <laughs> uh, it is likely that they didn't know exactly how many weeks long she was, so they don't know how early this baby is. They guessed 32 weeks. They guessed 32 weeks, but it could be later, considering that it lives. But uh, she immediately takes her to the mother. The mother holds her to her skin, and this is something that is vital for a brand new newborn, is skin-to-skin contact. And amazingly enough, it thrives and she Tita refuses to give her up out of pure either motherly instinct or something she's seen before and knows mm-hmm. and 
it works. Yeah. And they're like, what, what this baby, what this birth and this baby makes me really think is they have 24 other kids. Uh, and that does not decrease the heartbreak of a, of a still yeah. baby one bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like an important aspect of this story. It doesn't matter that they have 24 other ones. Mm-hmm. This one is precious. This one is precious. And then... And she even kind of says that when it comes to life and they hand it to her and uh, her daughter translates for her and says, it's very small and very fragile. And she says, all babies are fragile. All babies are fragile. Yep. And it's like... Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So coming down a little bit from the beautifulness, the <laughs> obstetric flying squad, as they call them, arrives with the ambulance and the doctors and everything, and the cl- fairly clunky dialogue of "Don't thank God, thank the NHS." And you know, years ago you all would have died, but now you have us to come. And like, I don't think he said "Don't thank God." He said, "I would have thanked." Years ago, I would have thanked the man upstairs. Now I thank the NHS. <laughs> oh, really? He really does say that. <laughs> I feel like it's so like, don't thank me. Thank the Earth's gravitational pull. <laughs> well, yeah, it does. It's like, don't thank God. Thank the NHS. It's well-intentioned and clunky dialogue, but it does come... It does, like... It is saying something yeah. that years ago, this person wouldn't have survived, this child wouldn't have survived, and also... The NHS is a good thing. The NHS, NHS standing, current. yeah, standing for National Health Service, which is public medicine in the UK, which we also have here in Canada. And it's currently being defunded in the UK in the present of this recording, mm-hmm. uh, which is a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think they were the makers of this show are constantly making an argument pro NHS. Yep, and we will on this podcast as well. So when Jenny arrives home, she hears the nurses in their evening song and watches at the door to the chapel. The next day, Jenny and Sister Julianne visit Conchita to find her feeding the baby by dropper, and Sister Julianne says they'll just have to see what love can do. A few days later, Jenny arrives to weigh the baby and discovers that it has gained weight and is thriving. Finally, Jenny visits Pearl again, who has lost her baby. Pearl insults herself, but Jenny calls her a heroine. And mature Jenny ends the episode musing about love. So the song, when Jenny returns to the convent and the nuns are singing, Mm -hmm. they're singing, because of the time of day, it's Compline. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't necessarily, I guess, for sure know what time of day it is, but it's night. So Compline is the last uh, canonical hour of the day. It's sung or said right before retiring to sleep. So you go, and earlier, Sister Monica Jones said, you know, I'll retire to my bed and I'll see you all at Compline. So Compline, there are, in different traditions, different prayers said at particular hours, and Compline is the last one. Mm-hmm. And the prayers of Compline are full of uh, prayers about sleep, but with a subtext of prayers about death. So they're like... We pray that you keep us as we sleep and revive us, you mm-hmm. know, as uh, 
prayers in Compline are things like preserve us uh, sleeping and guard us waking. Um, and the song that they are chanting is not a part of Compline usually, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. They're singing a prayer from the form of preparation. The uh, It's called Veniti Creator Spiritus, or Come Holy Ghost. It's an invocation of the Holy Spirit. And it's appropriate for this, the first episode of the show, like it's come, and for the invitation of the invitation of Jenny to like come. It's about coming, come here. We invite you to come, kind of language. Um, also, if you remember that theologically, the Holy Spirit, that the language of Christianity is that God is love, and particularly that the Holy Spirit is love. And so, when she says, "Like we'll see what love can do," and then they go straight into "Come, Holy Spirit," or it's not straight into, but they we are talking about "Come, mm. Holy Spirit," and then we go right into "We'll see what love can do." And the words that they that we hear them sing from that song are anoint and cheer our soiled face with the abundance of thy grace. Keep far our foes, give peace at home. Where thou art guide, no ill can come. And I think with the our soiled face makes me think of Sister Evangelista and all the soot. Mm-hmm. Right? Anoint and cheer our soiled face that in the middle of this dirt and this uh, sadness of pearl and the the uh, disease and the syphilis. We have both the contrast of like Conchita and uh, love for twenty five babies, and it lives because someone loves it, and also this house where they are praying for the Holy Spirit to come and keep all your foes far away. Mm-hmm. And it's with that, like, ringing in her ears that Jenny goes to bed. And mm-hmm. I, it is beautiful. It is. Yeah. Also, I love... We uh, used to attend a church that had uh, sung Compline once a week. And mm-hmm. so this is... These words don't go with it, but the chant melody is familiar to us. And it mm-hmm. is like very attractive to me very Mm -hmm. very very attractive to me yes absolutely absolutely um something i'm going to bring up probably again and again is when they do compline and things in the chapel there are other nuns Mm -hmm. so we see our four main nuns there and then across from them are like four to five other nuns that where are they other times? It's unclear. We never really meet them. Yeah. Do they like, are they just there for the prayers and then they don't live there? Or are they nuns but not nurse midwives? But it's a, the order is an order of nurse midwives. Yeah. So it's a little it's confusing. A little it's yeah. a little unclear. The other, but... you said we see the four nuns. The other nun we were introduced to briefly is named Sister Bernadette. Right. Yes. And she's a... We'll Scottish, see more of her in the future. Scottish but. soft-spoken nun who, yeah, we barely met her in this episode. So it shouldn't come up in your recap, but you say the four we knew. Okay. And that's the other one. Pearl is offers her tea. And earlier in the episode, they're offered tea. This is definitely a thing that, mm-hmm. you know, it's Britain tea is everywhere, but it's very much <laughs> like the hospitality of like, 
the nurses are there to serve them and they must like you have to give them a cup of tea you have to like you're here to console me and give me medicine for like my stillborn or my uh miscarriage in pearl's case but of course like i'll get up and give you a cup of tea oh the moment when pearl is like lying on her side and we see her like I mean, sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you hear I lost it? Yes, I'm so sorry. And she says, well, I can't win them all. I'll get up and get you a cup of tea. And it's mm-hmm. this, like, she's not accustomed to caring or being cared for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it makes me, again, in the context of the 25th baby still is precious and Pearl's lost baby still is precious. And mm-hmm. she, you know, moves forward the way that she can and makes tea and she deals we deal with what the Lord gives us. Yeah, exactly. And that is not just soot. It's also her whole situation. And mm-hmm. not being accustomed to be cared for is what she deals with that the Lord has given her. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Uh, I have read the books as well as watched the show. You haven't read the books yet. Maybe you will now. No, I don't like reading. <laughs> That's why you have a PhD in literature. Yeah. Um, there's, I'll probably bring them up many times throughout this, but one of the things that Jenny, the real Jenny Lee mentions is the tea and how in in the East End it was always like very very strong tea with lots of like either milk or condensed milk and she thought it was very gross (laughs) she did not enjoy that kind of tea at all and it would kind of be forced on her and she would have a small amount to be polite but did not enjoy the tea that was the popular tea but it was kind of like fortifying tea you know like you put some like lots of sugar in it and lots of milk in it so it's gonna keep you full it's not just like to to sip a nice cup of tea it's to like fill you up it's funny it makes me think my Dad went to a boarding school in Ireland where mm-hmm. they had tea with every meal that always, he said, came with like tons of milk. Mm-hmm. And he now finds milk in tea disgusting. Mm-hmm. And he like would not, if you put milk in tea, he would not drink it. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like a similar situation. We're like, what do you serve to a bunch of uh, boarding school boys? You don't just serve them tea. You serve them tea with lots of milk to fortify them. Yeah, exactly. Because they need the calcium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he wouldn't serve them just straight milk. <laughs> this moment when Jenny goes to the house and weighs the baby. Mm-hmm. Our oldest, our first daughter was small when she was born. And I remember so well a nurse coming by and weighing her with just exactly the same thing. Like a... A spring-loaded uh, scale, and a that's still what they use, mm-hmm. like a blanket, and you hook it to a hook, and then it weighs them. I remember so well the like first couple of days where she didn't was not gaining weight the way that the nurse wanted her to be, mm-hmm. and every way was like tear-inducing, and feeding her with. The droplets. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she wasn't premature, but she was small. Yep. And there's this moment of like, she's gay. Your baby's gaining weight. 
Yeah. And the like. Oh. The relief. I just remember that the, yeah. so well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And a little bit of like these contraptions that seem old fashioned are still in use. Yeah. If you haven't experienced that, the the way scales that's. Um, where we lived when we had our first daughter, they came, the, the, mid, I don't know, the midwife, the nurse, public, health, public nurse, health nurse, public health nurse would come and visit you and weigh your child. Uh, where we live now, I believe we took her to the doctor, but still that same scale, that yeah. same, like, you put them in a blanket, you lift them up because they're not going to sit nicely on a scale yeah. that's not nice to a newborn so you have them in a nice little blanket and you just lift them up and weigh them like a luggage yeah. scale it's <laughs> a clever device yep but i just remember the emotions of like waiting for them to say how many yeah. inches she's gained since the last time and is it enough yeah exactly exactly oh um so she ends the episode musing about love much in the same way of the beginning of the episode. And this is, uh, you know, she talks about where babies come from is from love or lust, or she doesn't mention that sometimes they don't at all. But in this context, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these babies are coming out of love, but it's still a lot of babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for the love between Kachita and her husband that are such great love, but... In order to have that love, it just results in lots and lots of babies. Yep. That's <laughs> what they do instead of talking. They make new babies. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the subtext there. <laughs> yep, right. <laughs> so what was your favorite part of this episode of Call the Midwife? Oh, my, I, it is a toss-up between the nun singing mm. that prayer. Yep. And the stillborn baby coming back to life. Yeah. And I think it might be the stillborn baby moving. Yeah. Because I had forgotten that it did. Yeah. And I was like really distraught by the mm -hmm. stillborn baby. And it felt like a miracle. Yeah. How about you? What was your favorite part? I think that... I, I liked so much of it, but I think one of my favorite parts was Jenny's uh, first birth when hmm. with the soot and everything and how uh, she like rolls the woman over to change the sheets and there's newspaper on the sheets and she's like hesitating and gently doing it and sister eventually she's just like, oh, just let me get that. And she grabs all the newspaper really quickly and it's like this moment of just do the work come on and she, it's yeah. a, like a real switch and jenny i think jenny's thinking of like okay this is where i am now it she's just do the work. yeah just do the work and i think that's a vital moment for her and i like i just kind of like that moment in general mm -hmm. it's got a bit of humor to it which i like mm -hmm. that there are moments of levity yeah, in this show sure. to kind of counteract the moments of maudlin and the moments of real sadness is that there's both joy and sadness. So I think those are my, that was my favorite moment. Well, all right then. Do you have anything else to say uh, about this episode? I have nothing else to say about no, this No, I think episode. I've said everything I want to say. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you have anything you want to tell us about 
this episode or any other episode of Call the Midwife. If you have questions or comments, you can contact us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. That's P-O-P-L-A-R Opinion. Like the town, not popular. It's a pun, you guys. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> you or... explain it every time. It's going to get exhausting. No, no, just the once. Just the once. Okay. Our email is poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can also find us on clockworksacademy.com slash poplar. We uh, love, we are ad-free. We have, all our support comes through Patreon. If you would like to donate to us on Patreon, it is patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Clockworks is our production company named after our first podcast. We uh, have a little shout out of thanks in the first episode to John Gushu of uh, CBC in St. John's, Newfoundland here, who gave us the name Poplar Opinion. Thank you, John. Thank you, John, if you're listening. So that's it for me. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Paul Moffat. And that's just my Poplar Opinion. Whether it's popular or not remains to be a <laughs> remains to be seen. <laughs>